Today on Blue 58, the Packers were embarrassed by the Minnesota Vikings at home ahead of a short week, a situation where they absolutely needed a win. It's hard to spin this one as anything other than institutional failure at every level. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Not happy to be with you here for another episode because this game, woof. This could be a a spicy podcast. I'm going to try to keep it not yelly. I'm going to try to keep it not hyperbole. But as I said in the open, well, as you might have gathered from the open, that could be a little bit hard when I'm framing this as an institutional failure at every level. I don't think there's any part of the Packers organization that doesn't look awful, awful, awful coming out of this game. The players, the coaches, and the people making the decisions about what players and coaches to bring into the organization look awful after this loss to the Vikings. It'll be tempting to spin this as a trap game. I don't think that's correct. You can't really call it a trap game when you see the trap coming from 100 miles away. You walk up to it slowly and carefully. You climb into the trap And then you just wait for the trap to cut your head off. The Packers knew that the Vikings had one player who could really tilt the game for them. And that was Dalvin Cook. And Dalvin Cook touched the ball 32 times, gained more than 200 yards, and scored four touchdowns, and the Packers lost. That's it. That's the story. But the chapter's and verses of that story paint a picture of failure at every part of the Packers organization. Let's start with the players. Holding penalties. Mercedes Lewis had two. Elton Jenkins had two. Defensive pass interference. Jair Alexander had one. Josh Jackson had one. Both of them set up the Vikings for touchdowns. Drops. Equinemia St. Brown had at least two. Bad throws. Aaron Rodgers misfires on a wide-open Jay Sternberger. Aaron Rodgers throws the ball into the ground to Tyler Irvin. And Aaron Rodgers, in a play that doesn't even count as a throw, gets hit from behind on a three-man rush and fumbles away the Packers' last shot at coming back in the game. Then there's just the effort from the players. The Vikings had a point-after touchdown in the second half where the holder seems to have badly mishandled the ball And the Packers just stood around and watched him do it. They just watched him. Watched him corral the ball, get it back under control, and get that kick up in the air. You have Adrian Amos with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Going all shoulder on Dalvin Cook. One-on-one in the open field. Tell me how that story ends. It's the same way every time. And it isn't with Dalvin Cook on the ground. Then you've got the defensive coaching. The bad run defense is so obvious that it barely merits talking about, but Dalvin Cook was well over five yards per carry, and it wasn't like he just ripped off an 80-yard run and that tilted his average. His long in this game was 37, which is bad enough, but just again and again and again and again and again, here comes Dalvin Cook. The worst part about the defensive coaching is just how often, and in this game it's the worst example so far this season, of how they are just continually surprised by
by the obvious. You know about Justin Jefferson, you know about Adam Thielen. That's fine. Chances are you're going to be able to slow them down. What then will the Vikings do next? They are an outside zone running scheme with a good running back. If you shut down their passing game, what do you think the Vikings will do? They will give the ball to Dalvin Cook again and again and again and again. And they had no reason not to because the Packers just couldn't slow them down. But lest you think we're just beating up on the offensive coaches or the defensive coaches, let's talk about the offensive coaching. The announcers very frequently in this game talked about how efficient the Packers' offense was in the first half. That could not be further from the truth. A 16-play drive, no matter how you put it together, is not efficient. It just isn't. You could call that managing the weather well, because the Packers were playing in a 40-mile-per-hour semi-hurricane in Lambeau Field today. But that's exactly what the defense wants you to do. If they don't think they can hang with you, blow for blow, just shut down the guys that you you have, what they're going to do is try to make you take a long time getting the ball down the field. Why is that? It shortens the game, and it opens you up to making mistakes, like holding penalties, missing open receivers, or just trying to run the ball too much. When you have to run a whole bunch of plays to get the ball down the field, that doesn't mean your offense is playing well. A 16-play drive that ends in the score is still a win in a way for the defense. They were keeping you to short gains. They weren't letting big or small plays turn into big ones. They weren't just giving up big plays. So don't pat the offense on the back for that. And then when the Packers are down, Matt LaFleur still seems enamored with the idea of establishing the run. I think it was the Packers' third to last drive. It shouldn't be that hard to find because they only had like eight of them in the game. But the Packers go incomplete on first down and decide to run Jamal Williams out of shotgun on second and ten. No urgency. No trying to get to the line and find a favorable matchup. And just nothing. You do like the analytical decision late to go for two, giving yourself a chance for the win. And keeping yourself in it if you if you got to go for it again. But still, just not a, not a, a poorly thought out game plan, it seems. Broadly speaking, it doesn't seem like the Packers, once they get down, have any way of coming back. There was that graphic from Fox late in the game that somehow inexplic- inexplicably the Packers have the most comebacks in the league for wins since 2017 when they've been down two touchdowns or more. Let's temper that a little bit by pointing out that at least two of those comebacks are against the Detroit Lions, week 17 last year and week two of this year. How good do you feel about that stat now? Even if the Packers aren't coming back, it seems like they're not equipped to play from behind at all. This Packers offense is not set up to go fast. 
Every play call is a mile long, so, so much so that Aaron Rodgers has to wear the wristband. And every play demands 14 different pre-snap motions. And that's fine if the game is tied or you're only a score behind. But when you've got to move fast, that puts you at a serious disadvantage. And I think we saw that when it seemed like the Packers' offense took forever to get to the line and get going when they were behind. But on top of that, there are personnel issues still lingering with this team. Packers have have struggles stopping the run because their defensive line is garbage outside of Kenny Clark, and they have no linebackers to speak of who can consistently make plays. A lot of the big gains for Dalvin Cook happened because Kamal Martin, a fifth-round pick, is guessing wrong. The Packers just have no talent or experience at that position. And this is probably their best linebacker group in quite a while. Blake Martinez was good, but there was nobody behind him. The average level of talent at inside linebacker is probably as high now as it's ever been for a long time. But the Packers can't stop the run even with that level of talent because the level of talent is so low. On top of that, the Packers clearly have nobody who scares out opposing defensive coordinators in the passing game other than Devontae Adams. Talking with Daily Norseman for Acme Packing Company prior to this game, I they asked me what I thought the Vikings would have to do to win this game. And I jokingly said, throw five to eight guys at Devontae Adams and then just dare Matt LaFleur to run with Jamal Williams too much. Well, that's kind of what they did. And it's just so clear that opposing defenses don't care about any other Packers receiver. Malik Taylor, one catch, 26 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, one catch, 19 yards. Equinemia St. Brown, one catch on three targets for 12 yards. Darius Shepard, one catch for six yards. No wonder the Packers are interested in Will Fuller. And then on top of all that, you've got second-round pick A.J. Dillon who touched the ball six times and gained 37 yards. Now that sounds pretty good, but 16 of those yards came on a catch and run where the defender took a really bad angle on like a second and 12 after I think A.J. Dillon lost yards on a run. And then he averaged an utterly inconsequential 4.2 yards per carry on five carries. Was A.J. Dillon a factor in this game at all? Absolutely not. And if you can't be a factor in a game where the Packers' number one running back is out, where it's supposed to be a running game, where it's supposed to be a grinded-out, hammer-the-ball-inside-the-tackles type game, when are you ever going to contribute? And the Packers spent a second-round pick on that. Knowing this apparently analytically-minded organization that's smart enough to go for two, coming back down from two scores, knowing full well that running backs are kind of inefficient. The worst part about absolutely all of this is that all of these things have happened before. Literally every one of these things is a known issue. Okay, throw the bad games out 
by the players individually, though effort and poor tackling has been a consistent issue this year. Getting surprised by the obvious is a consistent theme for Mike Pettin. Being being unable to come back from behind or having your entire game plan go in the garbage can when you get behind is a consistent feature of every Matt LaFleur loss. Packers get down early and they just, it looks like, well, we tried one thing and now we're all out of ideas. And the Packers issues at inside linebacker, on the defensive line, and at wide receiver have been known issues since this time last year and probably before then. And if now, now you are spending a draft pick to try to bring in a Will Fuller, it's already too late. It's already too late. So what does this loss mean? Well, the Packers are 5-2 and two now, and first place in the NFC North is up for grabs. Furthermore, I think it means that the Packers are extremely flawed. And as we've said on this very show before, the Packers are basically a finished product. You can't bring in an outside defensive coordinator. You can't bring in much in the way of talent because of where you are against the salary cap. And you can't just trade guys or trade draft picks left and right in hopes of fixing the flaws in your roster. The Packers can fix maybe one thing. And judging by the reports about their interest in Will Fuller in Houston, who would be a pickup I would enjoy, by the way, it should should be said, the Packers have one fix in mind. But for all that, it looks like they're going to be heading into San Francisco four days from now, essentially the same team that got run off the field there twice by the 49ers. So what happens next? Well, the Packers head to San Francisco on a short week, in hopes of derailing the 49ers. And I am not hoping for all that much right now. 49ers are playing the Seahawks right now. Game is currently tied. It just kicked off, so we're not getting much of a preview into how they could play this week. But 49ers have been coming on here a little bit. And I would expect that they're going to match up with the Packers pretty similarly to how they did last year. So I don't know, guys. I'm not feeling super optimistic after this game. Usually we talk about some good things that happened, then talk about the bad things, then try to get to just some random thoughts. But guys, I don't know. This seems like all of the Packers' negative attributes coming to roost at once. And if it can happen against the one in five Minnesota Vikings, missing every defensive back known to man with one dangerous player on offense, what's it going to look like in the playoffs? What's it going to look like against the 49ers who match up with the Packers even better? What's it going to look like against the Colts who are good and match up against the Packers a lot like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did? We have a deeply, deeply flawed team in Green Bay. And it's been flawed for a long time. And no one seems to have taken any steps to fix those flaws. We're at 16 minutes now on the podcast. And I feel like that's all I can give you. This one has me as close to to really angry about any game that that I've seen in the 
in the Lafleur era. And I have a hard time thinking of a time that I've seen in the life of this show, a game that's made me as irritated as this one. It might have been 2016 or 17. The Atlanta game in 2016 comes to mind where they had a chance to win it late and and couldn't really do anything. But I don't know. This just seems like a deeply flawed, flawed team. And I don't know how it gets any better. We might just be riding out games like this for the rest of the season, just hoping that a team isn't smart enough to take advantage of the obvious holes that the Packers have or the obvious issues in approach that the Packers have. Hoping that other people don't see the glaring holes that have been exposed a couple times now doesn't seem like a very good plan. In fact, hope is not much of a plan at all. But that's kind of where the Packers are right now. And I hope that we can get through the season without many more of these games in the future. I'm going to leave it at that. If you enjoyed this show, good for you. <laughs> but <laughs> but I guess I would, I would ask that you share it with somebody who you think would enjoy it as well. Because win, lose, or tie, we're going to try to keep making everybody smarter Packers fans. And, and having these conversations together is how we're going to do that. So share this on whatever platform you're listening on, on Facebook, social media, whatever. And we will try to continue the conversation around the Packers as best we can. I will see you very soon for a preview podcast as we get prepared for a Packers 49ers game Thursday night. Until then, stay warm, stay healthy, and we'll keep bringing you the smartest Packers takes we can. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.